How y'all doing? Excellent. Aaron's like on it today. It's great to see you all. So glad you're here. Made it over that kind of hump of midterms, hopefully, and we're on the way. She's like, no. <laughs> hopefully we're on the upswing of midterms. Um, as you guys are really encouraging to me, and uh, I just am I'm so thankful for all of you and just that you're here today to start the week this way. Um, we're at the midway point of this semester, um, and I'm, I'm really glad to kick off, like, we've been going through the book of Micah. You know, if you've been here, you've been kind of following along. Um, if you haven't been here, we've been reading through this prophecy. It's, it's kind of a small, like, if you're doing, like, a reading through, you know, like, the scriptures or something, um, it's a pretty small book, honestly. Like, you could probably sit down and read through it and 30 minutes, you know, if you want to do that, one of these minor prophets, but it's, it's been packed with a lot of this just kind of back and forth of warning, but also hope. And, you know, our, our title of this whole series is like a return to hope, because even though, you know, we often look at these prophecies and we're like, man, like these, God is pretty angry, you know, about this stuff from a kind of a thousand foot view, uh, if we get into it, he's, re- he's offering these like moments of hope for his people, even in the midst of that. And today we're looking at Micah 7, um, so feel free to turn there in your Bibles. There's Bibles around if you need one. Also, if you use the YouVersion app, um, you can flip to the events section, um, hit the hamburger in the right-hand corner, and, and then events, and it'll, we should be there, CSF on there. So you can follow along that way. Um, we're in Micah 7, doing the first half, and the next week we'll finish up the book of Micah before moving into um, Hosea for the rest of the, uh, the semester. Um, do I have any fellow pessimists in the house? Only one? Pessimist, all right. <laughs> oh, definitely. Realist is the actual word, I mean. <laughs> All right, that, that brings it up a little bit. Um, all jokes aside, uh, you know, something I'm trying to be aware of in my life because I am a glass half empty or third empty, you know, kind of person. Um, and it, it, but it's one thing to have like an, a natural bent towards like pessimism and another thing to have like an embrace of negativity. Like those are two different things. Um, and I'm trying to be aware of not like swinging over to the other side, like allowing it to, okay, here's natural, but then there's also like, hey, like you can think positively. Um, there's a difference between having a critical mind and a critical heart. Um, we can think critically, but if our heart becomes critical, that, that can be a problem, um, just in general. Um, but my natural tendencies are to lean towards what's going wrong, and that mixes poorly with I have a gifting in service and it kind of mixes poorly when I'm thinking about all the things that are going wrong and wanting to fix these things and do these things. Um, it can get pretty dark pretty quickly. Um, so I'm just giving some confession here. It's easy for me to look at the reality of the situation and be like, everything's going to hell in a handbasket, you know, kind of thing. Like that's easy to, to, for me to do. And, and I wonder, you know, where you all are. I heard some hands up for the pessimism, but even for you optimists or whateverists out there, um, like if that's easy to kind of have that snowball effect in your life, um, whether we're talking about, you know, personal life or like ever widening circles of, of people around us, um, 
where is your hope? Is it, is it like in God or is it maybe something else and it gets affected by those things? Um, in Micah, there's been this increasingly urgent, like I said, back and forth of discipline and judgment to come because of this like disobedience and this like running away from God that's happened by his people. Um, but then also this like extending of hope that it's not the end. Like he's, he's like, these things are coming um, if there's no turning, but there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a time where you come back. The Jerusalem is going to be this place of, of shalom and of peace and of, of like blessing to the world once again. Like you, you are going to be a blessing to the world once again. I'm calling you still to seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly before me. Like all, all this stuff is part of that, even in the midst of the warnings and judgments and discipline. Um, and just like this reminder that like restoration and liberation and making things right is God's heart for his people in this. Um, but what we've come to in a place of this as we go into Micah 7 is, is this place where Micah realizes that things are broken and the judgment is coming. Um, and I have a hard time seeing hope sometimes personally, um, whether it's in regard to personal things that just pile up or, and just seem too big, or whether it's like looking at the world and all its division and injustice and sin and greed, its false gods and its sin. Um, there, there are some responses in the midst of that, though, that we need to take if we're going to hold fast to the Lord in the midst of those things. Um, so let's read what Micah says here uh, in chapter 7, verse 1 um, through 7. That's what we're going to go through today. It says, this is Micah, Woe is me! I'm like those gathering fruit and those harvesting grapes when there is no grape cluster to eat and no fresh figs that my stomach craves. Faithful men have disappeared from the land. There's no godly one left. They all wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt down their own brother with a net. They're experts in doing evil. Government officials and judges take bribes. Prominent men announce what they wish and then they plan it out. The best of them is like a thorn. They're godly or like a thorn bush. Woe to your watchmen. Your appointed punishment is on the way. The time of confusion is now. Do not rely on a friend. Do not trust a companion. Even the one who lies in your arms, do not share secrets. For a son thinks his father is a fool. The daughter challenges her mother. A daughter-in-law, her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are his own family. But I, I will keep watching the Lord. I will wait for the God who delivers me. My God will listen to me. Uh, let's pray as we go into this here. Um, uh, Father, uh, I do continue to just thank you for the hope that we have in you. Um, thank you, Jesus, that you are our living hope and that we have a king that we can follow, that you lead us in that way. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for um, just the promises that you make to us. And Lord, I pray that as we, you know, if, if we're ever in this place where we're looking around and just like everything is gone to pot, um, Lord, that, uh, that you help us to remain steadfast in you and hold fast to you. Um, uh, so we love you. We just, I just pray for your, your speaking today, God. Um, Holy Spirit, that you are the one in the end speaking. Um, 
and that you're speaking to us what exactly we need to hear during this time. Um, so we love you. Give you this time. Amen. Um, at some point in our lives, I think there'll be an honest cry of woe is me. Um, that may be something that you've experienced before. I don't know. You know, I don't know all your, all your stories. Um, but, but at some point in our lives, there, there will be a time when we're like, I am desperate. And the answer, the, the cry is, woe is me. Um, not in a false self-pity, but this literal cry of lament that comes from a deeper place of brokenness or sadness or grief. Um, Micah cries out here, woe is me. It's beginning this thing. Woe is me is like the beginning. As God has spoken throughout a lot of this prophecy, and now we have this like response by Micah, woe is me. Um, it, he's crying out over sorrow, in sorrow and grief over sin and injustice of the people. Of, of his people um, and what that is going to mean for them. Um, and I, I wonder if you have ever felt this, like if you've ever, you know, I, I don't know, like looked around and just like observed friends or observed family or observed just the world and just been like, woe to us. You know, I, I don't know. If you've, if you've witnessed those things and felt that way. If so, <clears throat> lament is our proper response, just like Micah does here. Um, but lament is something that we've often not been taught. Or I think, you know, if you're like me, I feel like there has been an active even like, push that stuff away. Don't deal with it. Like, let it just like, it's fine, you know, kind of thing, like the, the kind of grieving process. I have, I have felt that before. Um, but to lament is to express like deep regret or grief or sorrow. Um, and grief is not something that we, I'm just generally speaking, but I don't think that we typically deal with it super well. Um, because maybe we haven't been taught to, or maybe because of the stuff, like I said, where it's just like, no, nah, just push it down, move on. Um, for whatever reason, we struggle in these places of desperation and you know, maybe you run from it. Um, maybe you try to like numb it somehow with external factors. Um, maybe you push it down and try to forget it without any emotion. Um, or maybe you decide to like set up shop and despair and just wallow. You know, I, I don't know where, or maybe it's healthy. Maybe you've learned how to deal with it healthily. Um, but I think that often we're like trying to get around the lament and the grief and the, the brokenness over things. Um, all these things are common, but all of them that I named off, besides the healthy part, are also lacking in the long term. Um, and in the long term, they may be more damaging to us uh, in places of discouragement, brokenness, and grief um, to, to act in those ways. Lament is the tool in the midst of this, in the midst of grief, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of brokenness. And what we see Micah doing here in chapter 7 is this lamenting. Um, and it's seen throughout the Bible. You know, I, I'm not going to name off like 100 scriptures today, but lament is, is us expressing the sorrow, pain, and confusion, and it should be the main way that we process grief in God's presence. Um, the Psalms are full of laments. Um, actually, not sure. If you, if you go to the end, if anybody's on version. Is anybody on version? If you go to the very end, are there like a list of psalms? Or did I forget that? 
I forgot it. Okay. Well, I'll name them off and you can, I'll name them off again at the end, but um, there's at least 12 Psalms of Lament, 3, 10, 13, 17, 31, 42, 43, 60, 79, 80, 94, and 102. I'll name them off again at the end. So you can actually write them down to look at this. But like at least those 12 Psalms are lamenting Psalms. And the beginning of Micah 7 here, if, if you've, if you've looked at the Psalms at all, like if you're a student of the Psalms at all, like this is very Psalm-ish, you know, where it's like everything is garbage for seven, for six verses. And then, but I'm going to praise God. I'm going to hold fast to him. Like that's very, very Psalm-ish in that. Um, and these are worth, these are tools worth looking at. Um, there's an entire book, Hannah mentioned it the other day, Lamentations, Lamentations. Um, it's like a whole book of just Jeremiah crying out because Jerusalem has been destroyed. Um, and there's some like learning stuff in there. Um, we can see Job lamenting through his just horribleness that's happening to him. Um, Jesus lamented. Um, he cries out to the Lord over Jerusalem. He's like, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how how often I would have just liked to take you under my wings like a mother mother hen takes the babies under, under I, I'm losing it, but the, uh, um, he's, like, he's like lamenting over Jerusalem, and it's very much like what Micah is doing here. Um, he, he laments over the plan of the cross in Gethsemane, um, but in the end is like, but your will, not mine. Um, and he laments on the cross, and we, we follow in the footsteps of Christ when we lament as well. Um, what Micah is lamenting, though, is, is the brokenness of God's people. Um, things have become skewed, and I've said it over and over again for this uh, you know, semester's teaching that God's people were meant to be a blessing to the world. They were meant to be a blessing to the world. Um, all the way from Abraham's like call, the people from him were supposed to be going to be a blessing to the world. Um, to live out a priestly calling to show the holiness and wonder of God, but they'd fail to seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with him. That's like where we're at as Micah's speaking here. So he laments things like violence and injustice and schemes, deceit, gossip, and division just in those six verses. Those are the things he's lamenting from his people um, that he sees. And I wonder if that sounds familiar at all. Violence, injustice, scheming, deceit, gossip, division. Nothing's changed much in that. Um, we see that all around us. But when we lament, we do a few things. And one of them is that we acknowledge sorrow. When we are lamenting, we acknowledge sorrow. Um, Latasha Morrison um, is a speaker and a, an author. She wrote Be the Bridge, uh, which is, I highly recommend that book. Um, but one of the things she says about lament is this. To lament means to express sorrow or regret. Lamenting something horrific that's taken place allows a deep connection to form between the person lamenting and the harm that was done. And that emotional connection is the first step in creating a pathway for healing and hope. We have to sit in the sorrow, avoid trying to fix it right away, avoid our attempts to make it all okay. When we acknowledge our sorrow over injustice or sin or pain, we refuse to ignore it, but we also admit that we need God to intervene and act in trust in that way. And it paves the way for the Lord to bring healing and change in those places, in us and in the people around us. 
The other thing is when we lament, we acknowledge trust as well. Um, Anne Voskamp says, lament is a cry of belief in a good God, a God who has his ear to our hearts, a God who transfigures the ugly into beauty. Complaint is a bitter howl of unbelief in a benevolent God. Complaint is the bitter howl of unbelief in any benevolent God in this moment, a distrust in the love beat of the Father's heart. Lament is this, this like embracing of God's goodness, she says, who understands us and knows us. And when we instead are in a place of negativity, like I was talking about earlier, and complaint and hopelessness, that's this kind of like not believing in God's goodness and trusting in that. When we lament like Micah does here at the beginning of chapter 7, we acknowledge God's goodness and his nearness and his care for us. And for Micah, that lament that acknowledges trust leads to a commitment of faithfulness. That's where we end in verse 7, this commitment of faithfulness, this, but I, but I, this is all happening, but, but me, this is where I go. Um, this statement of, uh, of faithfulness is reminiscent of many of the lament psalms like we talked about. And when he says, I will keep watching for the Lord, I will wait for the God who delivers me, my God will listen to me. It's reminiscent of many of those lament psalms, these songs and prayers that Micah would have grown up knowing. He maybe even referencing some of them. I didn't dig deep enough into that. But there's this like this reference to the way the psalmist would speak about hurt, about David would be like, my enemies are all around me, but I trust in the Lord. Like these kind of things are happening. The lament that acknowledges trust in the Lord, he says, I will watch, I will wait. I know God listens and delivers. And in the midst of all the other options and the sorrow over what's happening to the people and from the people, the choice is Micah's to make. And I think the choice is ours too in that moment. It, it reminds me of Joshua at the end of the book titled after him. Um, the, the, um, the people of Canaan, they've, they've like taken the land. They, they're in the promised land now. And in Joshua 24, he, he steps up to the people and he says this. He's, he's talked to them for a while at this point, but then he's like, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away these gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In, in the midst of our lament, we make the choice to commit to faithfulness or not. When it looks easy to let injustice continue, we have the choice. When sin looks easy and without consequence, we have the choice. When we feel spiritually dry, we have the choice. Something that stuck with me this week was the statement in verse 1, um, when he says, Woe is me, for I'm like those gathering fruit and those harvesting grapes when there is no grape cluster to eat, no fresh figs that my stomach craves. Micah is in this place of like, he's been speaking this prophecy to these people and there's just no fruit happening. There's no, he's not seeing anything come from this. He's like, I, I'm showing up for this, but there is no production. Um, 
But in another way, this may sound weird, but I could not let this fig part go like all week. Like I just like was in, in my brain like a burr and I'm like, what is, what is going on here? Um, and eventually like realized like the thing that I was being reminded of but couldn't remember at the same time was um, this, there's like a really small story about Jesus in Mark 11 and also in Matthew uh, 21. Um, he's coming close to like, he's coming back to Jerusalem. It's kind of in the area of the, uh, when the crucifixion is about to take place. But he's traveling and there's this fig tree and uh, I'm trying to remember if I'm going to read this or not. Nope. Um, there's, in these accounts, you know, he's, he's going in Jerusalem and there's a fig tree that's actually said it's like, it's not season for figs, but he goes anyway and he like looks at it. He's hungry. There's no figs and he curses the tree. And then, you know, depending on which one, it's like eventually the disciples notice like this tree like withered from this curse that Jesus laid on it. And Jesus goes on to like teach about prayer and belief and trust, but that's kind of a secondary thing. The, the like the teaching, cause he's, he's a rabbi, like he's doing a rabbinic teaching the way that works is like, that was a teaching in itself, just to understand that. And it's about fruitfulness. It's about fruitfulness is what that like teaching when the tree is un- not seen with fruit and then, then it's like, no, like this, this thing is not gonna bear fruit ever again. Um, and you know, he, he does all this. Uh, and just like the Lord has spoken through Micah, um, in this, like with the, the lack of fruitfulness, um, totally lost track of where I was at because I went on a tangent. I'm sorry. Um, there, there's this like Jesus with this fig tree has is like showing this like, okay, he desires for his people to be fruitful. Looking back at Micah, who's like, it's like I've like going to like collect figs and there's nothing there. Like the, the people were meant to be fruitful and um, he's making the statement in the face of the people of God in general, once again, not living out this calling in their lives. There's a calling to be a blessing, a calling to be fruitful. And Micah's like lamenting that. And we see Jesus even in the gospels, like you're meant to be fruitful. Just like the Lord has spoken through Micah and talked about Jerusalem. Um, you know, Jesus says in that place, here's that quote again. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Finally got it. You know, this like he wants to gather, but they've refused to do so. And back in Micah, we see the same thing. Jesus is acting out his own lament and teaching that he desires fruitfulness from us. We're meant to produce and to replicate, to bless the world around us, to express the gospel where we are. And whether Jesus is giving parables, you know, like the vine and the branches, where he's like, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches, remain in me. This whole idea of remaining, abiding in him, and that that's like where fruit comes from is when we abide with Christ. Um, Whether it's uh, talking about like the parable of the soils, 
when he, he's explaining like the sower went out to sow the seed and there's the good soil that ends up like replicating, but then there's like the thorns come up and they choke out the word or it's like stony ground and the birds come and steal it away. Like all this stuff about like fruitfulness and what, what like our hearts need to look like or, or whether it's uh, the talents when Jesus is telling this parable of like these people were given, you know, this, this amount of money and this amount of money and this amount of money and like the guy went away only one kind of invests it, <laughs> you know, like uh, two of them invest it and one of them just kind of buries it and hides it away and there's like no fruit there. Um, it's like the bare minimum. Um, all these things Jesus is speaking um, and his desire is that we would be like Micah and saying, I will keep watching for the Lord. I will wait for the God who delivers me. My God will listen to me and that we would be fruitful in the midst of lamenting the brokenness around us. In Ezekiel 22, God's speaking into the situation that Israel is in. Um, and the Lord says this, or Ezekiel quotes this, Again, the word of the Lord came to me. God says, Son of man, say to the land, You are a land that has not been cleansed or rained on in the day of wrath. There's a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people. They take treasures and precious things and make widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there's no difference between the unclean and the clean. They shut their eyes of the keeping of my Sabbaths so that I'm profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people and make unjust gain. Her prophets, her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion. They commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and they mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. And God continues and says this, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Uh, Ezekiel's laying this out and it is getting close. It's getting close to the conquering of the exile, to this invasion that's happening. Um, but all these things we once again see just this like kind of hopeless case all around this prophet, like the people who are supposed to be the blessing have not. And injustice and deceit and robbery and all these things are what is around them instead. But I look at that thing, and I know we're in a different situation, but I look at this situation of God saying, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. And, and I wonder what if we were the ones to stand in the gap? Now, I, I, again, different situation. This is Israel that's being talked about. We're global people of God, you know, um, and there is not a conquering force coming in. It's a different situation. But I do wonder still, what does it look like for us to stand in the gap for the world around us? Like, what does that look like to be a blessing to the world in that way?
Um, the brokenness of the world and honestly of many situations even within the church needs lamenting. Would we be up to the challenge of watching, waiting, and trusting? Would we be up to acknowledge our sorrow, but also commit to faithfulness in the midst of that? Would we be up to stand in the gap on behalf of our families, our friends, our university, our country, our world, the church? Would we be willing to do that in prayer and in lament? So my prayer is that we would learn to lament properly, that that would be something that we would actually consider and practice when needed that we would be a people that pray, I will keep watching for the Lord. I will wait for the God who delivers me. My God will listen to me. Um, so like just kind of as a practice thing, uh, not, not to practice right now, but I'm going to read those Psalms off again. If you um, want to write any down, that's cool. Um, but some that you could look at and kind of get started and just like understanding like biblical lament. These are all Psalms. Um, Psalm 3. Uh, Psalm 10, Psalm 13, 17, 31, 42, 43. This feels like bingo. Uh, 60. 79, 80, 94, and 102. So those are some options to like check out. Um, you can check that out if you didn't quite get them right. But again, my prayer is that we would learn to lament properly and that we would be a people that pray, I will keep watching for the Lord. I will wait for the God who delivers me and trust in my God will listen to me. Um, let's pray. Um, Father, um, 